Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, all right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. Perhaps if anyone has slipped in uh, during the course of our worship time, or maybe you are tuning in and listening online, my name is Jason, um, and it's great to be able to take us into week two in our series that we have uh, called Origins, uh, which is part of our journey through the Old Testament, inspired by, and if you like, guided by the letter to the Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which, if you like, gives us a summary of the key parts of the Old Testament. And so we're letting the New Testament be our tour guide through the Old. And we trust that as we do that, um, it's going to be a really fantastic journey. And so the word that we've got here, origins, and the Hebrew word that's on the screen there, uh, that is the Hebrew word bereshit. That's where we get that from. Uh, be in and reshit beginnings. It's the very first word of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And uh, as we look at this series, Origins, out of particularly the book of Genesis, which we're going to look at in the run-up to Christmas, it's going to take us through some of the most important foundational moments uh, of, the, of the whole of the Old Testament. And if you missed last week, I'd love to encourage you uh, to perhaps go online and have a listen to that uh, because it's going to, in some ways, be a little harder to engage today if you missed last week. Not completely, but a little harder because I can't recap everything. Uh, and one of the things that you will discover as we journey through Genesis is truths begin to build on truths. Uh, And as God begins to reveal who he is and who we are and how we live in relationship with him. Okay, and so uh, today uh, we're going to be looking at the creation of humanity. And as we do that, there's some important things that I'd love to say up front. Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two form the foundations of approaching some very significant topics from a Christian perspective. And while we're not going to be covering all of those topics today, we can't do that in in the time that we have or in the detail that maybe would be helpful, um, we are going to be touching on them. And I am very aware that questions around sex, sexuality, sexual preference, gender, gender equality, marriage, divorce, parenting, the family unit. Okay? These are big questions in our culture today. Would you say that that's the case? They are deeply controversial within our wider community. And it is incredibly easy to unintentionally offend or to be misunderstood as we begin to touch on these topics. Um, And these, I'm aware as well, these are not just theoretical questions. You know, perhaps if we come to other sections of the Bible that are more difficult, like how Jesus is going to return, you know, there's some debate around those things, but, but this is different. These are questions that touch on the very heart of who we are as people. And I'm aware that people in this church, this raises deep questions for us 
This is not theoretical stuff. This is stuff that touches us at our very core. And so what I'd like to do, perhaps to help, I hope to help with this, um, I've asked the welcome team if they can hand out some little pieces of paper, okay? And this is to say that if, as I'm speaking, I say something and it's confusing, okay, hopefully I don't do that too often, but I'm sure that I do. I can tell by the looks on your faces uh, that sometimes I say the odd confusing thing. Maybe it's a South Africanism, but, or maybe I just make a mistake. And so if I say something and it's confusing, or perhaps it inspires a question, or there's something you'd like to clarify with me, if you would jot it on that piece of paper, put your name on it, how you'd like me to contact you, and I will get in touch with you about it. And hopefully, in doing that, it alleviates any of the opportunity for miscommunication uh, and for hurt to be caused unintentionally in any way. So, so if, you, if you'd like to ask a question, there's a box on the table there, so you can fold it up, put it in the box, uh, and if you have a question, I will get to that. And then additionally on Thursday evening at 8 o'clock, which is usually when our connect group meets, uh, one of the things we were going to do as a connect group was have some time to discuss this in connect group on, on, uh, on uh, this coming week. And what we've decided to do as a connect group, we're going to host a, an open night chat with the pastor evening here at the church on Thursday evening at 8 o'clock. And on your pieces of paper, if you have a question that you would be happy for me to perhaps speak to, um, obviously without mentioning your name, uh, but you'd like me to speak to that, then time permitting, I'll do my best to do that on Thursday. So if you've got nothing going on on Thursday and you'd like to come along, you have some questions, perhaps this is engaging for you, um, then again, hopefully that will be helpful. And then lastly, what I've done over here, there is a table uh, with some books and some pamphlets and some material on there. Uh, the Evangelical Alliance, which we are connected with as a church, we're an evangelical church, have written on a number of the topics that potentially um, our, our message today speaks to. I don't have all of them there. You can go online to look at them, but I have some of them there as well as other papers that have been written by other evangelical organizations in other countries. There's some of the books and the commentaries that I have used, that Ryan and I use, and books on the topics of relationships and marriage. And so if any of that is helpful, you are welcome to take the pamphlets and the pieces of paper. Please don't take the books because I need those for the rest of the series, but you can take pictures of them or jot down the titles or have a look inside and, and, and then be able to buy them wherever you, you buy your books. Okay, sorry for the lengthy introduction, but hopefully that's helpful just as we come into this because I'm aware that this is the kind of topic where I just don't want to create unnecessary uh, hurt or offense through saying a word that, that perhaps is, is not intended. So let's, uh, with all of that in mind, Come before the Lord and pray as we come into this very precious, powerful, significant, important teaching that we have from our Father God to understand Him and ourselves and relationships together. It's actually beautiful because it comes from God. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the way that you are with us. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a guide for us in life. You shape us and reshape us. Your truth brings freedom to us. 
You bring freedom to our sense of identity and purpose. And so, God, we come to you, the one that we believe has made us and fashioned us and known every day of our lives. And, Lord, we pray that you would speak powerfully into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits as we come to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. And so, as I say, uh, we are launching out of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, where we have this summary of some of the key moments within the Old Testament that form the foundation of our faith. And we looked at the first one in verse 3 last week. By faith, we understand that the universe, and that includes each of us, okay, that the universe was formed at God's command. Isn't that amazing? The power and wisdom of God to create the stars and the galaxies and you and me is unfathomable for us. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And we looked at this core foundational belief that God is creator and we and everything else are his creation. We are not God's equal. It's so important for us to kind of get that in our hearts. It is not our place to evaluate God. It is actually God's place to evaluate us. We are learning about who he is and what God is like. We are learning to love him and to know him and to follow his ways, which are so high above us, it's like the stars above the earth, his ways above our ways. And I was trying to think of some metaphors to explain what, what it's like to take the truths of Genesis into perhaps some of the more difficult, life-challenging questions that we are wrestling with today as we ask bigger questions of the whole Bible. And so I thought of a maths and a sporting metaphor, okay? But before I do, I thought there's a great opportunity to get to know the people around you just a little bit. So what I'd love for you to do is turn to the people around you and let them know what would you rather give some time to if you had some spare time? Would you rather give time to sport or to maths? Okay, and if sport, which sport? And if maths, why? Uh, 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 <laughs> you, you know my answer. Uh, and maybe neither. It's just a great opportunity to get to know something about the people who are next to you. So take a, take a moment, let them know what's your favorite sport, and do you like maths, and if not, why? Just two minutes. Okay. All right. 
How many of you found that interesting and engaging, just finding that out from the person next to you? How many of you sort of guessed it straight away what their answer was going to be? Okay. Lovely, lovely. Well, it's good to get to know one another. Sometimes we can sit in church and you sit next to someone and, and you never get to understand and know these deeper things about one another. Okay, great. So a maths and, and a sporting example of, of how, how important it is to recognize and understand these foundational truths and be able to bring them to our more complex questions. So take maths. If you can master the basic arithmetic skills of adding, subtracting, division, multiplication, it sets you up to tackle much more complex questions of algebra, trigonometry, and it goes on from there. Or perhaps sport. I'm not sure if you've watched the development of a child where they can't move at all and then they begin to crawl and then they can sort of toddle around and then they can walk and then they can run. And once they've learned to run and to throw and to catch, now they have a foundation where they can learn the much more complex movements and skills that you need to play cricket or rugby or football or whatever it is that's the sport that you love. But if you miss those foundations, the more complex tasks become overwhelming or you just get things wrong. And it's the same with the Bible. If we miss these foundational truths that actually inspire the whole rest of the way the Bible is written and to be understood, then as we bring tougher questions to the rest of the Bible, without understanding the foundations, we either become overwhelmed, we don't even know how to engage with it, or we come to wrong conclusions about what certain passages mean. And this is why we see Jesus and the other New Testament writers, we looked at this last week, and actually other Old Testament writers quoting so much of the book of Genesis in their writing and in their arguments. An example of that is found in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is asked a difficult, complex question about marriage. And how does he answer it? He goes back to foundational truths that are located in both Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And he makes a quote by mashing together two pieces from both of those chapters. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made their male and female. That's quoting from Genesis 1.27. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And so here we see Jesus, as he deals with this difficult question... He makes sure that people understand the foundational truths, how to add and subtract, how to run and how to pass before he tries to get them to do algebra or something complex. And again, this is why I and we and within our sort of evangelical stream have such a high view of the Old Testament and Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the whole rest of this first book because we see that Jesus did himself along with the apostles and the other New Testament writers. And so as we come now to have a look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, as it relates to the creation of humanity, 
our task is almost to see what are the seeds of truth that we're meant to take away from this, that we can make sure we've planted into the soil of our bigger questions, and to make sure that they are undergirding the way that we come to our conclusions. Okay, so let's have a look then. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're looking at the creation of humankind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. A couple of things just here before we carry on. The word here that's translated mankind is the Hebrew word Adam or Adam. Does that sound familiar, perhaps? Well, that Hebrew word can be translated in three different ways. It can refer to all of humanity. And so depending on your translation, you might have Genesis 26 say, let us make humanity or let us make people in our image. It can refer to all of humanity. It can be the proper name of Adam, the individual, or it can refer to a man. It can refer to a male person. And the way that we understand that is from either the definite article in Hebrew, we don't need to go into that, or often the way that the New Testament writers and other Old Testament writers explain that it needs to be understood. And so here it's referring to all humanity. And we see in verse 26 that God's intention is that all humanity are made in God's image. Note the us in the let us make man. This is very important. It hints at the fact that God is himself a unioned being. We discover the very nature of God is what actually sets the trend for concepts that run through the whole rest of the Bible. Things like unity, where there is difference. Authority, where there is equality. These ideas don't begin with Paul. They don't begin with the teachings of Jesus. They don't begin with the prophets or with Moses or even with the creation of Adam and Eve. They actually don't have a beginning because they have eternally been present existing in the very nature of God himself, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal and unified, but wonderfully and beautifully individual, unique, different. We see that bearing the image of God is what both informs our nature and our purpose. Our nature, that we are significant. You are significant You have incredible value. You are image bearers of the God of all creation. And we are relational beings because we are made in his image. We also get our purpose from this. To rule the Hebrew, radar, to have dominion over creation, to bring order where there is chaos, creative energy, protection, leadership, so that life can thrive. Just as God rules over us, he says, I am making you in my image so that you might also be able to rule and bring life to flourish under your leadership. But we will see next week as we look at sin that sin breaks both our nature and our purpose, our sense of value and our sense of value for others. 
are undermined and broken and distorted by sin. Our relationships together, our work, the way we understand work, the way that we do our work, all becomes distorted and broken by sin. Okay, let's carry on. Goes on in Genesis. So God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. A couple of other things to just make a note of here. As God creates humanity in his image, we see that both man and woman bear the image of God. That gender is at the very center and core of God's creative work of humanity. Both man and woman are blessed by God. Both man and woman receive the mandate from God to fill the earth. It was an instruction that would have been hard to do for one gender on their own at that time. That was meant to be a joke to lighten the mood, but it didn't. Okay. Both man and woman are called to subdue the earth, to rule over it so that life could flourish. And yet, though they are equal, we see that they are also unquestionably unique. Just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal and yet unquestionably unique. He goes on, verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so we have this picture of God creating humanity. It's blessed by him. It's defined as being good by him. It's defined as having incredible, intrinsic value because it bears the image of God. Created uniquely as man and woman. And yet God comes and provides for his creation. He's not going to be aloof. He's going to be intimately involved. And this is meant to form the foundation of our understanding. This is our, our, our walking and, and crawling and, and throwing in and catching and adding and subtracting as we now come into Genesis chapter 2, which is going to build on this with greater theological significance related to gender, relationships, and marriage. So let's turn over to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, then the Lord God formed a man. So this is now almost a zoomed in picture of what has taken place. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Okay? God formed a man, Adam in the Hebrew, out of the dust of the ground, Adama. Notice the similarity there. It's intentional. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We have this picture of now a man, not humanity, but of an individual man. And this incredibly personal, intimate language that God would breathe the breath of life. That which was in God is now imparted to this man. Something of the divine spark, if you like. This divine life 
that God has within him, this eternal fire. Our God is a consuming fire of life and energy and love. The spark of God is imparted to Adam and he becomes a living being. What amazing creations we are. Goes on now to the creation of woman. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I'll say something in that in a moment. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. We'll just pause here for a moment. I understand that the word helper can be a stumbling block for people. I think perhaps because we bring our broken, sinful understanding of what that is into a text that we don't perhaps fully understand. The Hebrew word here for helper is ezer. And it's most often used of God and the way that God himself helps humanity and Israel, God's people in particular. I think it's used about 21 times in the Old Testament. 16 of those are a reference to God himself. And so this is not a term, helper, that is meant to bring to mind any kind of image of a lower servant. Not at all. In fact, completely the opposite. This is meant to elicit in us the, the image of a powerful, wise, strong, often more capable, complementary partner in the ministry that God has called humanity to. Does that make sense? It's really important that we see that. Woman is seen to be made from the very center of the man. I think it's significant that that which houses the breath of God, think of where you breathe, it's surrounded by your ribcage. That which houses the breath of God, it's that that God now takes out of the man to fashion the woman. The Bible does not put woman under man, nor woman over man, but next to man. The Bible does draw a distinction between man and woman, and yet we have a collective purpose and calling. We carry intertwined but unique roles that are complementary, powerful, significant, precious, special, valuable. These ideas of man, woman, male, female, masculine, feminine, these are concepts that are seen to be present in God's original design of humanity. They predate the fall. That's also very important. So we can anticipate that our understanding of what it is to be male and female in the world today will most often have been expressed and experienced with the brokenness of sin. I want to say to you, the way that I have learned to be a man, to be masculine, to be male, has been damaged by my own sin, the sin of others to me, and the sin of the society that we live in. My masculinity has been damaged. I would suggest that our masculinity and our femininity has been damaged and broken and marred and undermined by sin. 
And so I believe that our task as Christians is to try to understand what is God's perspective on what it means to be human, to be male, to be female, and not to evaluate whether we like the ideas in male and female based on the way that it's been played out in history. Often, the way it's been played out in history has been deeply sinful, broken, harmful, hurtful, wrong, offensive, damaging. And so God calls us to come back to his blueprint that is actually found in the very nature of God himself, which is why you are beautiful people, because God has made you in his image. Goes on verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And again, just a note on the words. Sometimes I think um, women have felt sad that they're named after the men. You know, why are women named after men? Woman and man. Well, if it makes you feel any better, men are named after mud. (laughs) Okay? You get the upgrade (laughs) and are simply more refined. Which we all knew anyway. Okay, so, so Adam is made out of Adama. Okay? Woman is made out of man. It's a symbol and sign of source. But God is seen to be the creator of both. Uh, Victor Hamilton uh, in the commentary there notes that a good way of reflecting the Hebrew assonance here is that God made earthlings from earth. Um, when, when he's speaking about the creation of Adam and it, it runs true uh, for Eve as well. We then have this foundational verse for the Bible concerning marriage. To leave and to unite. To become one flesh. The man and the woman that God creates, they are fusible beings. Okay? Just as God is a fusible being. Man and woman are able to fuse together. We are able to be united with God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think Paul says, if we make Jesus our Lord, we become one spirit with God. That doesn't mean we become God, but it means spiritually we are now joined with him. We are one spirit with him, but we are us and God is God. But we are joined, we are fused, we are connected to represent the image of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see here that man and woman are made as fusible beings to be able to fuse together in this covenant of marriage where we we are able to become one flesh. And so you will see that throughout the Bible, sex, one flesh, physical union, these are inseparable from God's perspective of marriage in the Bible. God's design was that marriage, a word for covenant, relationship, and union, is to be the connecting together, the coming together of man and woman in a physical, spiritual, emotional bond that God creates to reflect the very nature of the Trinity itself. So that marriage, this union again, is seen as God's as part of God's creative design. 
and it predates again the fall. And so we can anticipate that after the fall, marriage, intimacy, union, sex are all impacted and all distorted by sin. My concepts and understandings of marriage and the way that I'm a husband to Nikki are not perfect. I am learning to be masculine and I am learning to be a husband the closer that I walk to Jesus. And I would suggest that all of us have in some way experienced the pain and loss and brokenness of sin's impact on our understanding of gender, sex, sexuality, marriage, family, and relationships. Whether that's us or our immediate family, we've, we've all been touched by this. But isn't this the glory of the gospel? That God has come to bind up the broken and to set the captives free. Which Jesus quotes, another Old Testament passage that Jesus quotes in Luke chapter 4. When he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. I'd like to end with a psalm. Um, Psalm 147 says this. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And I think it's interesting that the psalmist combines these three things. This understanding of our need for healing and wholeness and restoration with a revelation of God's power in creation and God's wisdom that goes beyond ours. And I think there's something in that for us. As we are aware of God's creative power, his knowledge that transcends ours, he can become for us now the wisest one, the counselor who is able to put back together the pieces in us that sin has broken in us, in our families, in our relationships, and in our society. He has the wisdom to fix and the power to fix the brokenness of our hearts, our identity, our sense of purpose, our understanding of gender, our families. We have need of God's power in this. I'm sure if you can say amen to that. We have need of God's power in this, his healing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.